You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how you doing today? Not bad, Nick. Not bad at all. One of my favorite times of the year here, and that is tax season. And yeah. the the end of tax season, if you file your taxes on time and don't file an amendment or an extension, excuse me. Really glad we're doing this today because as soon as we're done, I am going to my tax advisor's office to pick up my returns. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So... So today we're going to talk about what you should look at on your tax return. And some of it's a little bit backwards looking, like things you want to make sure were right for 2021, but also things you can think about for this coming year to make sure document. Yeah, and I think it's an important kind of habit to get yourself into, you know, all too often, if you have a tax advisor, you send them all your stuff in, you know, January or February, and they do your tax return, and then you you know, file it. And then you don't think about taxes until next year at this time. And and what I would say to that is the important thing is to maybe take some time out, look at your tax return now, we'll kind of give you a checklist of things to kind of look at and think about. And then usually what so what we do for our clients is, you know, we collect tax returns, we look at this stuff, and then we check back in in the fall when we have a little bit more information about where income's going to be. And then we tend to implement a lot of the potential strategies later in the year, but start thinking about them and framing them up this time of year, making sure we understand what happened last year and what's the potential to happen this year. The first thing to look at is, did you use the standard deduction in 2021 or did you itemize? And the, uh, the standard deduction for 2021 was $12,550 if you were single or $25,100 if you're married filing jointly. Yeah, so kind of just a, a brief background on what the standard deduction is. Basically, you've got two options when you're filing for your taxes. You can itemize your deductions or you can use the standard deduction. And it used to be, before they changed the tax law a couple of years ago, a lot more people were using itemized deductions. So things like mortgage interest, um, state and local income taxes, that you would basically tally those up. And that's what your deductions from your income would be. Well, they increased the standard deduction. And I think last time I heard things like 85% of people are taking the standard deduction now. And amongst our clients, I would say it's even higher than that. Yeah, it's very rare if you're doing itemized deductions nowadays, especially because, you know, they also capped the amount of state and local income taxes you can use. And that was usually a big one for people. So unless, you know, there are some clients that do a lot of charitable giving that maybe are still itemizing. Um, But outside of that, we really don't see a ton of itemized deductions nowadays. So you take a look at line on on your 1040 tax form. Take a look at line 12A. That's where you'll see whether you use the uh, single, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, standard deduction or or if you itemize. A couple things to think about. One is with the CARES Act, um, they're now allowing for cash contributions to qualifying charities in the amount of $300 per individual. So $300 or $600 if you're married filing jointly. So even if you don't itemize your deductions, you can 
claim up to you know six hundred dollars of cash contribution. So that's something to be keeping track of. You know, a lot of people used to keep track of them and maybe stopped because they're not using them anymore. Well, you can use up to six hundred dollars of them. So that's something to think of. And then on the, the kind of the planning side, you know, if you're close to that standard deduction, itemized deduction, there are some things you can do to kind of basically play the game where one year maybe you itemize and, and you kind of hold all of your charitable contributions into one year um, versus, uh, and then the next year you take a standard deduction. So kind of offsetting. So that's something you can think about as well. Um, a lot of times, if you know if you're using TurboTax or if you're going through a, a tax preparer, usually they will calculate what your itemized deductions would be, so you can kind of see, you know, how close you are to that standard deduction. Those are some some numbers that you'd probably want to know and think about because if you're real close, there's probably some things you can do to take advantage of that. There's other strategies that can come into play if you're a retiree. We talk a lot about qualified charitable distributions and things for people that. Are- the don't itemize, save that for another day. But really what you want to know for going forward is, are you near that threshold? And do you want to try to get over it for 2022? Or I guess another way to look at it is if you're not anywhere close to it, don't, you know, maybe you don't need to spend a lot of time keeping track of uh, every little uh, box you drop off at the Salvation Army. Some of that stuff can be time consuming. So, you know, if you're if you're miles away, then I would just wouldn't worry about it. But if you're close, it's something that you might want to keep a little bit closer attention. Next item kind of on on a high level is your, your filing status. Are you filing married filing jointly? Are you filing uh, married filing singly if you're married? The, you know, and there may be reasons and sometimes it makes sense to look at your return and maybe calculate it. Uh, is married filing jointly versus married filing singly see if there's a difference if you're if you're married yeah it's one of those things that you know kind of like the standard deduction most of the time it probably doesn't make a big impact but there are some certain scenarios where married filing singly um or yeah married filing singly can have a big impact you know there's some student loan repayment things that come into play um, and there's a couple other, you know, a, a couple other ones that may pertain to your situation. So something you want to, you know, maybe talk to your tax preparer about and have them run it a couple different ways to see what's you're going to come out the best. Student loan repayment plans are the big one. And then sometimes if, if, if you've got a big disparity in incomes, it can make a difference too. So filing status, Dave, is another one. So if you're recently divorced or your spouse passed away, you want to make sure that you're using the right filing status. Um, That should be at the top of your Form 1040. And then another big one is if you have dependents, there's a couple things that you might qualify for. The big one being the child tax credit. And there are some different phase outs for child tax credit, depending on how much your income is. And so those are some key numbers that you want to see kind of where you fall. And again, if it's something where you're miles away, you don't have to worry about. But, you know, the, so for the child tax credit, if you're single, the it's the phase out starts at 200000 and it's 400000 if you're married filing jointly. So if your income is close to those numbers, you want to know about that because there might be some things that you can do to defer some incomes that you stay under those numbers to get the full tax credit. Like it might be worth it to increase your 401k contribution and lower your income if you're going to get, 
you know, that tax credit on the other end to, uh, to offset it, you know, it basically pay for itself. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff, a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about, it's important to kind of know where you fall in these ranges, because if you're close, like you said, whether that's increasing 401k contributions, or maybe you're doing Roth 401k and you can do pre-tax 401k, that starts to make a lot of sense when you can kind of stay under some of these phase outs. So, uh, so the next thing uh, to think about are, uh, are you or your spouse or any of your dependent children in college and if so, then you may qualify for the lifetime learning credit or the American Opportunity Tax Credit. What you want to look at there is if your modified adjusted gross income is below ninety thousand if you're single, or one hundred eighty thousand if you're married filing jointly, then you may qualify for the lifetime learning credit. You'd want to look at uh, Schedule Three, Line Three on your tax return to uh, to find that information. Or if your modified adjusted gross income is below those same numbers, check form 1040, line 29, find information on the American Opportunity Tax Credit. Yeah, so another thing that's um, unique to 2021 is it's the last year of the economic impact payments, uh, which is as what most people call the, the stimulus payments that came from the government. A lot of people, depending on your income, probably already got these, but there are some folks out there that maybe didn't get those payments, but were, were eligible for them based on their 2021 taxes. So you want to kind of see where you fall in that range. And, and that might be a reason why you have a bigger refund than maybe you were anticipating because you got some of those stimulus credits. So that's a unique to 2021 tax year and, and we don't have any stimulus in 2022 and I don't think we'll get any, but kind of the last year to uh, qualify for and get the uh, stimulus. You would find that on line 30 of your 1040. So that'd be where to look, look and see if that, uh, that was taken care of. What about uh, alternative minimum tax? Yeah, so this is a you know <laughs> this is an interesting one where you know depending on what you're doing tax wise and you know this you know it doesn't come up all that often to be honest with you but there are some reasons and there are some times when it does come up and so it's one of those things where basically trying to close some tax loopholes of people writing off more than maybe the IRS thinks they should in certain ways. And so they came up with this alternative minimum tax. And it's basically a calculation where they're adding some income back in and seeing where your tax would fall if you weren't doing some of these things. You know, I, don't, I can't, I don't think any of my clients that I remember have an AMT. I don't know if uh, if you have any day, but it's something that doesn't happen very often. But if it is happening to you, you probably want to know why. And we'll probably want to think about those things. In general, you know, did you, did you receive a refund in 20 for 2021 or did you end up owing? And, you know, either in either direction, was it a surprise when you did? And, and if, if so, you know, you may want to consider was it some special circumstance in that year that changed things or do you need to look at your withholding on uh, payments on your, uh, you know, from your 
from your employer or from pensions and social security? Typically, unless there's a major change in either your personal situation or maybe a change in tax law, there shouldn't be a big difference between what you, you know, what you got back or what you owed in 2020 versus 2021. Typically, you know, you don't have big swings unless there's a major change. And so if there wasn't anything that changed, but there that you know of, but there was a big change in terms of how much you got back or how much you owed is certainly something that you want to think about. I do believe there were some changes into the withholding laws. And so I think a lot of people ended up withholding less than what they normally do. And so that might be something to consider. And and I think that's a hard part for people to understand where we all just kind of assume that through payroll that we're going to withhold enough taxes. And so it's challenging. You know, if you're a single individual, it gets a lot easier. But if you're married, then that doesn't always translate, especially if you have, you know, large discrepancies and, you know, one spouse earning a lot more than the other spouse. And so it's certainly something that you want to look into. And then I think it's kind of philosophical to some degree as well, Dave, where, you know, some people are used to and kind of bank on the fact that they're going to get a big return. And that's kind of like a forced savings for them. And just because you get a big return, does not mean that you don't pay a lot in taxes, right? Just means that you sent the government more than you owed. Um, And sometimes people equate their return to whether or not they pay a lot in taxes. Yes, I've had that conversation three different times with different clients this week. And yes, if you're getting money back from the IRS in April from last year's taxes, it means you sent them more than you needed to. And if you end up writing a check in April, it doesn't mean you owe more tax. It just means that you didn't have enough sent to them already. And I guess my personal point of view is I would rather, I'd rather be fairly close. I don't want any big surprises in April, but I certainly don't want to be getting a bunch of money back from the, from the IRS and when I file my taxes. Yeah, I have a, have a similar um, philosophy when it comes to taxes. I want to pay enough that I don't have a penalty, um, but I don't want to give them any amount more than what I need to to kind of hold on and safekeeping for me. And, you know, it's not, it's it's hasn't been as big of a deal. You know, when interest rates were a little bit higher, you could make the argument that you can save that money and put it in a savings account and get interest on it because the government's certainly not going to pay you interest. But with interest rates so low, that's not necessarily the case. But I would, you know, if, if you don't, you obviously you don't want a big surprise. You want to know where your taxes are and you certainly don't want to pay penalties. But, you know, I'm not opposed to people paying extra and getting a big return as long as they understand that, you know, they could do the same thing by taking that money and putting it in a savings account for themselves. If you did have a penalty for not withholding enough, you know, if you're outside certain thresholds, you you can be assessed a penalty, but you'd want to look at line 38 on your form 1040. And if there is a penalty on there, talk with your tax advisor. They've probably already brought it to your attention if you do and, and see about adjusting your withholding if the next year is going to look like like the previous year. So two ways to kind of accomplish getting around the penalty. One is if you owe money, probably your tax advisor is probably talking to you about setting up quarterly payments. Um, the second option is if you're a W-2 employee, you can always increase your withholding amount. You can do that at any time during the year. You just want to make sure there is... There's an amount that you should, your tax person should give you that tells you the amount that you need to have withheld by the end of the year. So um, you just want to make sure that you're hitting that mark and 
you know, if you have a good year and you end up paying more in taxes, you might have to write a check. Um, but as long as you pay that amount, then you won't have penalties. Get ready for the biggest marketing summit in Lansing's history. Circle Friday, May 6, 2022 on your calendar. Zedia Media will be hosting the summit at the Royal Scott Banquet Facility. All the big bosses of marketing will be there, including key sponsors like M Connections, Super Web Pros, Uno Deuce Multimedia, Paper Image, Michigan Creative, Jungle Jane, and Weathervane Roofing. Tickets are on sale now at zediamedia.com. That's Z-E-E-D-I-A media.com. 17 presentations on marketing trends you need to know for your business. Big prizes, lots of fun. Your presence will be honored. Your absence will be noted. So other moving parts on taxes, uh, a lot of times comes down to investment income and um, non-retirement accounts. And so one of the things to be, well, to pay attention to, to be conscious of, is do you have taxable interest being reported from investments and savings. And that would show up on line 2A and 2B of your 1040 and dividends being reported. That would be on 3A and 3B. And it's not that having those things are bad. You just want to make sure you know that your investment accounts are being handled as tax efficiently as possible. And, you know, that's that's those are conversations we're having with clients with those type of accounts all year long during the year. And it's not that you want to necessarily avoid the taxes. You want sometimes they're justified. We can't let the tax tail wag the investment dog, right? But you just want to make sure that you and your investment advisor are being conscious of the impacts of the decisions you make and how those are going to translate into your tax. Yeah. You know, when you talk about taxable accounts, you know, those are good things to have, but you have to kind of understand it starts to get a little bit more complex when we're talking about you know, if we're taking capital gains or if we have dividend income, what tax are we paying on those? They typically get preferential tax treatment. And depending on where your income falls, you might not pay taxes on those at all. You might end up paying 15% or 20%. But then, you know, the higher your income goes, you start getting into the net investment income tax. And so it starts to become less and less favorable to have those gains. And so when you're designing a portfolio, it's really important to know where your tax situation is and how to then make those decisions and how to manage that account ongoing based on where you're falling, this kind of range of zero to you know, 20, 25% taxes on those gains. And so it's kind of a, and it's, you know, it's not a fluid situation. It kind of changes from year to year. And so there's different things that you do each year, depending on where you fall within those ranges. And so, so some things you can look at specifically without going into a ton of detail, but you want to see that your investment accounts are generating more qualified dividends than ordinary dividends because you get preferential tax treatment on those. You would look at your Schedule B to find that information. If you are subject to those Medicare tax, the additional tax on investment income, that kicks in if you're uh, above $200,000 in uh, wages if you are single or 250000 if you're married finally jointly. You find that information calculated on Form 8959. Same numbers for the uh, the net investment income calculation as the uh, Medicare tax. 
real important, you know, to see where you're at and then also, you know, altering your investment strategy based on, you know, what, where you fall in those numbers. Another thing to consider is retirement plans and retirement planning issues, depending on where your income is. Um, You may be eligible to deduct contributions to a traditional IRA. And also there's phase outs for the Roth IRA, depending on where your income is and whether or not you can make those contributions. And then on the low end of that, in some cases, you know, if you have lower income, there is actually a retirement savings contribution credit that you may qualify for. So you get a tax credit for making contributions to a retirement plan. And that also has some different phase outs that you can look into as well. And again, those are those are levers you can use to kind of help determine what your taxable income will be for the next year, either increasing contributions to uh, pre-tax accounts if you're uh, you know if you're near some of those thresholds or um, you know using the Roth more if it's not going to matter. Other things to consider conversion amounts. Did you convert any traditional IRA to Roth IRA? This is another one that, you know, with our clients, we're looking at, and we're, you know, we're making that determination. We're, we're kind of researching right now to see if it's a viable option. And then later in the year, we'll kind of, when we have more of the information, determine whether or not that's something that we should pull the trigger on. But traditional converge, IRA conversions to a Roth IRA or something that we try to look at every year as well. You're going to want to take a look at Form 8606 to make sure that the amount converted is reported correctly. Along those lines too, if you did an IRA rollover during the year, you want to make sure that that didn't get reported as taxable income. If it was, if you you roll a retirement plan into an IRA or move money between IRAs or move money you know, from 401k to 401k, sometimes that will generate a 1099. They're not always coded correctly. And sometimes they're not entered correctly. And you want to make sure that any amounts that were moved from a tax sheltered account to another tax sheltered account, even though they're treated on a 1099 as distribution, you want to make sure they get the right tax treatment. We've had, unfortunately, some firsthand experience with that this year of incorrect 1099s. And, you know, as good as we think these custodians are, they do on occasion make mistakes. And so you want to make sure that if you're looking at your 1099, it's coded correctly and it's showing up on your taxes correctly. If you moved it from one IRA to another IRA of the same kind, there shouldn't be any taxes on that. And so those are some small things you want to make sure that you're paying attention to. That shows up on line uh, 4A and 4B of your 1040. And line 4A is your total amount of distributions. So if you're 1099, if you if you took $10,000 out of uh, out of a tax sheltered account and put 5,000, you know, back into a different one as a rollover, you'd have 10,000 on line 4A and 5,000 on line 4B is how that works. So just make sure that those make sense with what you did the year before. An accountant isn't going to necessarily know if you move money from an IRA to an IRA and the 1099 shows it as a distribution from the IRA, unless you tell your tax person that they're not going to know. So that's something to take a look at. Yeah, definitely important. You know, if you're not working with a tax person, if you're using a computer system, they're not going to probably ask that question. They're just going to go off whatever the code in the box is. So, you know, making sure you're reviewing stuff if you're doing it on your own, making sure it makes sense is super important. Kind of a uh, 
thing that's relevant for this year. If you took a coronavirus-related distribution back in 2020, you were allowed to take up to $100,000 in distributions from a retirement plan and not pay penalties on it. It was still taxable, but you were given 2020, 2021, 2021, and 2022 to put that money back in. So if you did any of that in 2021, you need to make sure it was documented right. And you were able to spread the taxes over three years too. So these are pretty specific situations and you're probably going to know if you fall into those, but uh, just make sure it was documented right. Yeah, that's, you know, one of those because it is a specific situation and it's kind of a new one. You want to make sure you're, you know, you're doing that properly and, and getting that taken care of because I'm sure that's something that the IRS is looking for this year too. So other issues, income related type issues. If you're a W-2 employer, employee, make sure you're reviewing your W-2. Did you make HSA or FSA contributions? And are those included in your taxes properly? And then your retirement plan contributions and employer matching contributions. Make sure you're taking a look at those. Um, and then other issues related to stock options and equity compensation, making sure that that all looks right and is getting reported properly. If you have those things, get your butt to a, a really good tax person. That's, that's, uh, you know, when we, when I think about all the things that we help deal with, with clients, the, the tax ramifications of non-qualified stock options and equity compensation probably are the, uh, some of the trickiest things to deal with. So get somebody good on your side that knows how to document those on your tax. Yeah. Money well spent for sure. Yeah. So uh, speaking of HSAs, um, making sure that your HSA contributions are reported properly. So that would be on Form 8889, Lines 2 and 9. And also keeping in mind the maximum contribution is $7,200 for a family. You also get a $1,000 catch up if you're 55 and older. And so um, making sure you're taking advantage of those and, and making maxing, hopefully being able to max those contributions out. That'll show up uh, also on your W-2, I'm sorry, on your 1040 on line one and on your W-2 along with your pay stubs. Um, and if you took any distributions from a 529 account that weren't qualified for in for education purposes, you'll need to do what's called a form 5329 to figure out if there's any penalties on that. And then also if you happen to own rental real estate, making sure you're taking a look at your schedule E and seeing kind of what expenses you deducted on the rental property, making sure that all makes sense and looking at that for, um, tax purposes last year and then also going forward and what you can potentially use on that going forward. Right. And another situation where I would uh, definitely want a CPA on my side. And then uh, student loans. If you have student loan payments that you're making, uh, check and make sure that if your interest is deductible and you are deducting it properly on your taxes. And then state-specific issues. Um, any, the one that comes to my mind is if you're making state of Michigan 529 plan contributions, making sure you're including that on your state taxes. The first $10,000 you get to write off on your state of Michigan taxes. So if you have those contributions, making sure you're writing those off on your state taxes. 
it's kind of the big one that I can think of. I don't know if you have anything else for state of Michigan. Not specifically the state of Michigan that I can think of. No. There's a couple of different credits there for, you know, energy, home heating credit for very low income individuals. So depending on where you fall, that might be something to look into. But um, those are the only things I can think of. A couple couple bigger picture issues. If you are over 72, if you've reached what they call required beginning date for IRA mandatory distributions, make sure you uh, have satisfied those. And uh, if they weren't satisfied in the year before, there's some corrective actions you can take. So you need to um, need to talk to a professional about that. And uh, there are some pretty stiff penalties if you don't. So you want to take care of that. If you're over 70 and a half, we've talked about these before, but you can do qualified charitable distributions from IRAs. And again, that's something to look at when you're when you're thinking about whether you itemize or don't itemize and uh, ways to, uh, to maximize your gifting strategies. Yeah, absolutely. So I think long story short, Dave, certainly a good time while taxes are fresh on your mind and you're going through them to review them and look at planning opportunities and kind of set yourself a schedule for, okay, here's some of the things that we can do this year and making sure you're either enacting them now or getting them back out and thinking about them later in the year when you have a little bit more information on the income ranges and kind of where you're going to fall and and whether you're working with your CPA on that or whether you're working with um, your financial planner, you know, don't think of taxes as a, hey, this is an exercise I do in April and then I forget about it. Um, making sure you're kind of aware of, okay, now here's, here's kind of where I landed last year and here's the opportunities for this year and making sure you're thinking about those things throughout the year. So we will go ahead and post these flow charts on the show notes. So if you are, if you want to take a look at these flow charts and kind of go through your own tax situation on these, these should be helpful in that regard. And as always, if you have questions, uh, shoot us an email at info at srbadvisors.com and we can hopefully help answer any questions that you might have on this stuff. Thanks, Nick. I guess I can't stall any longer. I got to go down and uh, actually my tax return and down and go it right so time's ticking you have no excuses now (laughs) i'll talk to you later all right thanks dave gather around and follow the kitchen table finance podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now you can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.